Stand Up with Pete Dominic. With Pete Dominic. On Indy, Sirius XM 104. All right, I'm uh, excited to have our next guest joining us. I was on his program on Huffington Post Live last week. He's great. I love watching him. I love being on with him. And uh, I'm really excited that he's joining us now. Uh, his article, uh, I'm sorry, his, he's a host and producer at Huffington Post Live. He's an Arab-American journalist, formerly of Al Jazeera's The Stream. He's got a book. It's also an author. Uh, Demanding Dignity, Young Voices from the Front Lines of the Arab Revolutions, available on Amazon. And I guess he just got home, right? Is that right? From Boston, where he was visiting last week. Ahmed Shinab Adeldin. Ahmed, welcome to my conversation. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey, Pete. It's my pleasure, and I, I love your work. Uh, so listen, tell me about your week last week. Now, you, you, were, you were not, you didn't go to Boston to work. You went to visit family. I'm confused. Well, so, uh, you know, my mom has been in Boston for a while now. She's actually a cancer patient. And, uh, you know, I was actually planning to go there every other weekend I go. And, uh, you know, the truth is I, I knew what had happened uh, during the marathon, but I hadn't expected, you know, the chase that would eventually ensue. And when I got there, you know, she was a, a patient and she was on lockdown. She wasn't able to get back into her building. Her building is actually at ground zero, essentially, if we call, uh, you know, Boylston Street that. And so lots of tension, um, you know, and I was just stuck there with her, but I was able to actually uh, essentially live report the crowdsourced nature of the story. And, and I mean, you're not expecting really to be in that, uh, that situation. And, and, you know, visiting mom, that must have been difficult to, uh, you know, just dealing with, with your mom's health as well as trying to do your job. So. Right. So and, and not expecting to be on lockdown. So just your perspective and the perspective that you got from other Bostonians, it's an, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, there's a thousand conversations that occur as a result of what happened last week. But of some course. people are saying, oh, it's like martial law and, and the terrorists won and the, that so much money was prevented, you know, just normal everyday commerce. But I don't know. From my perspective, uh, I would have said, hey, I'm, I'm OK with this for a few hours. Had that been right. a couple of days, I could see people right. losing their minds and being mad. What was the perspective of yourself and the people that you talked to in Boston? No, I think that's important to highlight. I mean, we have to keep in mind the context, you know, how long it had been since Monday, uh, basically several days that the city was still reacting. You know, there was still this palpable sense of fear, uh, whether it was perceived, whether it was real, it was palpable. And you could feel that. Uh, and, you know, so I think once this news broke late at 1030, there were a lot of people who were concerned with people listening to the police scanner. Uh, everybody and anybody trying to get any sense of the information that was happening. I mean, the way that this, you know, attack was being reported, it was was incredible. And, you know, between the mainstream media, TV, the the police scanner that was streaming online, citizen reporters who were tweeting updates and photos, and I would argue that the biggest threat came from traditional media in terms of how the story was covered. You know, when you add that with the dramatic lockdown, this sense of, of, you know, it heightened the public sense of confusion and panic. Uh, there were initial reports at 1030 of multiple explosives, IEDs, you know, these terms that we don't hear uh, in the American context at all, when even, even in the context of terrorist attacks, I mean, since 9-11. And so, you know, you heard about the hundreds of shots fired, the car theft. I think this really provoked the public's need to know. And for as much as, you know, I was at Boylston, people were abiding by, um, the lockdown and shelter request from the authorities, but but everybody wanted to know what was going on. And, you know, even from across the river, you could see the blue police cars, dozens of them just shooting up. Um, and, uh, you know, as bits and pieces of the story started to get reported, I think there really was a sense of concern because nobody seemed to know 
whether it was the anchor on CNN or, you know, people trying to interpret the police scanner, what actually was happening. And that's, that's why I think at the beginning we saw that misinformation. Well, when you say, you know, you, you're critical of the traditional media reporting, what, what specifically um, either, either of the reporting or the style? Because, you know, I've been in my stand-up act now. I've been doing jokes yeah. about the downtime, right? You know, mm-hmm. when there's nothing new, they just – it's almost oh, yeah. as if they've made up an expert to go to. Let's go to our boat and dry dock expert. What can you right. tell us about how this boat might be stored? And it's like, really? I mean, I made that up, obviously, just now. But, but I mean, just in terms of the the traditional reporting I've met, what, what what did you what do you think was was maybe irresponsible, confusing, or how would you label right. it? You're a journalist. I'm not. I, right. I don't know. You know how, I mean, I, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's all, it's all perhaps relative, and people hold on to what they want to believe in, in situations like this most often, especially when things aren't finalized. But, you know, I, I, the reason I say that, you know, people presume that social media is unreliable, well, in fact, it is because there's so many sources, right? But uh, I would argue that, you know, the New York Post, for example, and CNN, uh, many were guilty of, of misinformation, whether knowingly or not. And I think that was a result of trying to chase the story, trying to outscoop, so to speak. Um, all the sources that were on the ground tweeting or, or what have you. Uh, for example, the New York Post, you know, splashing a front-page cover of, of a Moroccan high school athlete uh, in the moments after it. He was, you know, a 17-year-old track athlete um, who eventually told the AP that he was scared to leave his house. Uh, you know, I remember Wolf Blitzer on CNN throughout the day on, on Thursday uh, asking if the suspect had a foreign accent. Uh, and I don't know about you, but, like, to me, you know, when you ask that question, that's essentially like asking if he was wearing a hoodie. And maybe everyone was curious about that, but I think the, the way we frame things like that uh, can be very responsible, not just for that individual's life, but the way people then interpret who must be behind this and then and, and blaming it rather than on the individuals, for, for example, in this case, the two brothers, uh, on an entire religion uh, or on an entire ethnicity. The two things that I think there's a lot of ignorance around in this context, whether Islam or Chechnya. And, you know, that's why we saw... Obama come out and speak, uh, you know, about this in particular, saying you can't blame this on an entire group of people. But there were a lot of, you know, there were a lot of things that happened. Um, you know, for example, the way in which there were a lot of videos played. For example, that white naked man that CNN was reporting. I mean, there was that video. Uh, everyone believed him to be a suspect. Uh, and then, we, you know, lo and behold, no one discussed who that was. Everyone thought that was the older brother, in this case, Tamerlan. Um, and so, you know, from that to the fact that, you know, through Reddit and through a lot of this crowdsourcing, there was also misinformation with a young Indian-American student who had gone missing from Brown University being implicated. Um, you know, and That's right. That's I mean, that's exactly the name that, that, that was said, by the way, I believe, on the police scanner. At least some people reported that that's the name that the well, someone on a... Yeah, and this is what's interesting, just very briefly, you know, you know, people said that that would happen on the police scanner, but, but the truth is, the way that all played out is, you know, at, at about 2 a.m., I remember, at 2.15 a.m., uh, two names, actually, it was Mike Mulugeta, uh, I think that was being said that they heard it on the police scanner, yeah. uh, and, then, and then there was just one tweet which referred to Sunil Tripathi's name, which had come from Reddit, but, uh, you know, afterwards, people went back, and, and just to highlight the point, uh, without believing it, I mean, people went back and saw crowd listen to the entire uh, police scanner, and there was no mention of Sunil. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, that's how stories get kind of mixed and thrown around from Reddit to perhaps a newsroom, and then, you know, people assume that that was sent in the scanner, but it actually, in fact, wasn't. Well, right now on the air, uh, we got a great guest on on talking, and we can talk with so many different angles 
uh, about what, about everything that happened in Boston with Ahmed Shanab Edeldeen, and he is uh, uh, of course one of the hosts over at Huffington Post Live. Does a great job there. Been on his show. I watch him all the time. Last week he was not only uh, he wasn't hosting; he was on commentating. And and when I saw you on on commentating, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, geez, I got to get him on uh, as a guest on the program. So I'm I'm really psyched to have you join us today. Um, yeah, so l- let friend. me ask you though about. I saw a tweet from your account about that you were on the train and uh, on the train. I, I I guess I would imagine on the way up to Boston on Amtrak. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And and, and there were obviously reports that the uh, trains had been stopped and they were looking for suspects. Perhaps that was on the train. It, may, it would be obvious uh, that they'd try to get out of Boston uh, at some point, and so you can understand that. But I, I, it, when I saw that tweet from you, and, and and it said something about you know everybody's got to. Have their tickets, or you know, this they're was, looking uh, through this the. This was actually just to clarify. This was just yesterday, actually. I think on my way day back, on my way back, uh, in terms of what the conductor was saying about the FBI monitoring, perhaps who exactly is on the train. There was still that sense of urgency and tension, even after the second suspect had been caught. So my question is: After any one of these attacks happen, uh, in this case, the, these kids were uh, related to to Chechnya. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so now everybody's looking into Chechnya, and the hilarious mm-hmm. thing is the ignorance of so many people connecting right. Chechnya and, and the right. Czech Republic. Uh, right. So, uh, well, I mean, we could talk about how almost it's comical that people don't know countries, but who, do, who am right. I supposed to be afraid of? Who am I supposed to hate? And, and, right. and, and so when your name is Ahmed uh, and yeah. you look like you do, and it's the aftermath of, of this, and you're in Boston, I mean, you have, a, a, I would imagine, a different level of concern. I don't want to use the word fear. Um, to, I don't want to describe your emotions. I want you to describe them to me. Then say Pete Dominic does. Right. No, it's certainly true. And, you know, the reality is, you know, I don't like to focus on this. I don't like to perhaps try and perpetuate any notion that Muslims are a collective victim or anything. But you did see... Uh, you know, lots of Arab groups, lots of Muslim groups come out and they, they feel there's this com- compulsion that they need to, uh, first of all, they're, you know, internally hoping, please don't let it be a Muslim, please don't let it be an Arab. And, and, and the reason that is the case is that there's been this reflexive reaction uh, to this imminent threat that's been outlined, uh, you know, to our go- from our government to us as citizens through the media, uh, I think since 9-11. And, and you know, We've seen, you know, I outlined some of them, but we've seen, you know, attacks in, in the immediate aftermath. You know, a woman in Malden, a Palestinian woman wearing the hijab with her baby and a friend uh, being assaulted. There was the Saudi guy who was there who actually was a victim himself, a young yeah. student who was assaulted because he was running away. And, you know, being in Boston, I did go down and I did walk around and, and you know, I think the most important thing to take away is, you know, throughout the entire ordeal, you know, I don't, I didn't mention this in my reporting when I was on HuffPost Live because I didn't find it to be the right time to be having that conversation perhaps. But, um, you know, I I even was walking around and people, you know, mothers with their babies were were just on edge. I mean, you know, this was the first, I believe, real terrorist attack on America since 9-11 that had casualties of this nature. Uh, You know, we, we saw things happen at Fort Hood and mass shootings, but but there was this sense that what's happening, how is this happening, and I don't trust anybody. And unfortunately, uh, as you know, you know, Arabs and Muslims to a certain extent have been painted to be uh, untrustworthy because of the vague and abstract nature of Well, not the, only, though, but, but not only Arabs and, and Muslims. I mean, we saw the, the Sikh temple shooting, and, and you can speak to that better than I can, but many accounts— you know, and after 9-11, again, 
Sikhs, people that that you know aren't even uh, Arab or Muslim or even related, but but that you know an ignorant in this case American might think, well that guy's got to be because of you know the color of his skin, a beard, a headdress. Um, I mean, the the idea, the reaction is sometimes even targeted towards people that that aren't even in the group that you ignorantly want to classify. Right, right. and so you know that's why I'm encouraged when I see people take to Twitter uh, and say things like "We are all Muslims" or "We are all any any sect." And people were doing that. People were trying uh, to you know to deconstruct this notion that that we should be jumping to conclusions. And as I said, we saw Obama come out and say that. Um, and, you know, you know, given the sensitivities around something like this, I mean, now today you're seeing people lamenting certain coverage, how the New York Post was, was you know, perhaps as they often are sometimes racially charged or, or sensational. Uh, people really standing up quick, quicker. Uh, in fact, including the FBI, which essentially asked the American public, as they have in the past, to help them crowdsource, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a solution and, and find the, the suspects. They were very selective. They, they released the videos uh, to their credit, perhaps. They didn't, uh, you know, include a lot of other, other information around it. It was kind of very uh, frontward facing, very blunt. But, you know, I think this is a real opportunity, if there is a silver lining, to, to just think more critically and, and to be perhaps more open-minded in the sense that the way even the Chechen element of this is being discussed, you know, it's an opportunity for tolerance and justice, I think, to prevail. Um, and, you know, if, if we are to believe in, you know, the fact that, you know, whether there was a political motivation that included the significance of the Boston Marathon taking place on Patriot's Day or not, the reality is Patriot's Day, what does it represent? The beginning of the Revolutionary War, this notion of, you know, being free from persecution, of uh, being free from, uh, you know, being told what, what to believe in terms of religion, free speech, uh, all of these values that I think really... The, the marathon symbolized. And, and, you know, I think that these two young brothers, you know, if we want to get into it just very briefly, you know, are, are coming from a, a place that has been mired in conflict for decades. And I think this is a, a learning opportunity to a certain extent. Um, you know, these were two young men. A lot of people are trying to frame this as foreign terrorism or is it domestic terrorism? And, you know, there are huge implications for how even our, our elected officials are discussing whether or not uh, you know, the second younger suspect now who's recently woke up at the, in a hospital, I believe, this morning, whether or not he should have had his Miranda rights read to him. Uh, you know, the, the, whether this, you know, public security, uh, you know, invoking this public security claim uh, that was created in 1984 and, and two years ago dramatically expanded by the Obama administration, whether or not that is going to help us heal, help us understand how to prevent this from happening again. I think the way to do that is for justice to prevail, and, and, you know, in Obama's words, to, to be mindful of not blaming this on Chechnyans or Chechnyan radicals or assume that all Chechnyans are radicals or Muslims or Arabs or Sikhs. Well, yeah, I mean, Jews. it's like when you find out that, that these, these kids uh, were from or related to uh, Chechnya, Russia, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. then, then it doesn't – nothing else really matters, Ahmed. It's like now the next time I meet a Chechnyan, I'm like, oh, right. all right. right. I know yeah. what your I know what your situation is, and right. and, and, and and it's it's just that's how I don't know I don't know how to. You know what I love, Pete, about you. I'm gonna just say this is is, is the reality is what you're outlining is so true, and uh, I think speaks to something that exists within all of us that we are creatures of nature that we react to stimuli and that we all have 
you know, a, a tendency to be uh, not, if not racial, race, race it's, per se, to be prejudiced. Um, well, yeah, I speak it. to my own, I speak to my own prejudice and ignorance all the time. So one, you know, years ago, when I was 20 years old, one tall, a girl who's taller than me turned me down. So I never talked to another tall girl. Right, like it's, I mean, we all, we have an experience mm-hmm. and, or we see something in the news and then we decide those people, that type of person is this blank. And that's just, and, and, and then you, going back to what you're talking about, this public safety and in, 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 invokes, you know, the, the idea that, that you argue for the constitution and for certain amendments uh, for the mm-hmm. second amendment, but not the fourth amendment. Um, right. It's just a level of ignorance that lots of Americans know exactly what the first or the second amendment are. They have no idea how the fourth amendment works. They have no right. idea about Supreme court precedent on, on case, but we learn about a lot of that through these situations too. And, I, you know, I just wonder from your perspective and, and, and watching yeah. this all play out, um, I find your perspective so much more refreshing than so many others. And um, and, and so that's why I don't even know what the hell question I was going to ask. Well, you well, well, here's the thing. You know, I think one way to look at this is, you know, I went to Boston University for four years. I've been, you know, lucky enough to have Boston be a city that showed me many firsts. I fell in love first in Boston. I got my driver's license in Boston. I made great friends in Boston. Um, and what I'm trying to get at is, you know, I was subjected, whether intentionally or not, as, as a result of 9-11. I mean, I moved there a year after 9-11. As an American, I was born in the States but grew up abroad. And, you know, for better or worse, I was subjected to some discrimination, racist jokes, taunts. Uh, you know, I was made to feel as though I was part of a problem, you know. And, and, and so... As much as this was an attack on America, I, I really think it's important that this wasn't, you know, an attack on America by Muslims. This wasn't an attack on America by Chechens, per se. I mean, you know, the way that the Chechen president tried to frame this is, is very much put, placing the blame on America. The fact that these two young boys were Americanized, that this was domestic terrorism, trying to, you know, kind of deflate the notion that Chechnya... But even if it was, but even if it was... Even if it was a Muslim attacking America, even if it wasn't an Arab attacking America, I mean, this week, another huge story would have been that some guy sent ricin to a senator right. Right. and the president. But I didn't right. see anybody in the media asking if his religion, right. A, what it was, and B, right. was it influenced? I, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, not framing it as an attack on America by anything other than two individuals who are unique individuals who. Uh, you know, are conflicted uh, inherently. And I think this is as much about immigration as it is about anything, a conversation, including terrorism. You know, uh, a Chinese grad student lost her life. Uh, you, know, you know, a Chinese family lost, uh, uh, you know, a daughter. They, they are victims of this, uh, you know, as much as Martin Richard's parents uh, are and family is. You know, a Saudi was seriously injured, assaulted, as we said, and interrogated. And so, you know, to me, you know, part of the, the appeal behind the Boston Marathon is that it's such an international event. Over 500,000 people come into the city, runners coming with courage from all around the world to compete, to celebrate, to raise money for cancer, what have you. Um, you know, we live in a globalized world, and I think this was an attack on, on tolerance and people who, who uh, you know, on, on, on people who, who believe, in fact, in, in, in freedoms. Uh, and I don't mean that in the sense of American values and freedoms. I mean, you know, the freedom of movement, for example, just the mere fact that it was the marathon and that they chose this event, I think, is, is, is quite um, symbolic. And so for me, this is as much about immigration as it is about anything. Well, and, what, is it, and, what is the conversation that you think uh, should result? about immigration as a result of what happened in Boston? Well, I mean, there's many. 
you know, and, and when we saw, you know, for example, the fact that, you know, maybe on the political level, uh, there are people who are concerned about what this might mean to some of the immigration reform that we're seeing, uh, you know. Uh, I, I, I think the reason that this is a conversation about immigration is that these were two young boys who did immigrate here. Uh, they're coming from a part of the world, as I told you, where there's, there's a lot of, you know, the Chechen separatist movement now has splintered off. A lot of people describe it as a Salafist Islamic movement. Um, but, you know, these are young boys who, who arrived here with, with hopes. I mean, if you look at Jahar's tweets alone, uh, which I'm sure, I'm sure you've done, there's an yeah, indication I have that this is, you know, he, you know, that he was perhaps, you know, you know, these days, I just think that, you know, people have been trying to find out whether the older brother, brother went back to Russia, went back to the Caucasus and got training there. But, you know, there's so much information about both these suspects on social media that really highlights the fact that they were just, you know, for whatever reason, unable to make whatever dream they had uh, come true to them. Jahar on his Facebook page, this is the second suspect, the 19-year-old, on the Russian version of uh, basically Facebook, the contactor. Um, you know, there was a lot of information on there about, you know, how he, he sees himself, at least limited, uh, in the sense that uh, he said on that site that, you know, perhaps his worldview it was classified as Islam, but he lists under personal priorities, career and money. Uh, if you look at his tweets, you know, on, on March 14th in particular, there was one where he says, a decade in America already, I want out. But then there's also this tweet about him being a lifeguard. Um, you know, and him showing that he's contemplating life, searching for purpose in life. This is a 19-year-old kid. He moved here from a region of the world where, where he perhaps felt like, you know, his people, his ethnicity was being persecuted by Russia. You know, it should be mentioned, and this is why I think the silver lining is it's an opportunity to learn about the world. Uh, and, and, you know, people who have been yeah. humanizing these two people, like David Remnick wrote this incredible piece, have been criticized for humanizing them. Um, and I, I think that's, that's kind of dangerous. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I think it's so important. I got into this med, I, I, after 9-11 because I had just had so many questions about why why would these terrorists do what they did? Where does that right. come from? What are the catalysts for this? And, and how right. can we see that and, and, and prevent it? And I, I love what you're saying about a, 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 a learning moment, a, a teaching moment, because— I mean, I had no idea how many uh, people had lost their lives in, in, the, in, in the movement, the separatist movement in, in, in Chechnya and Russia yeah. and how they'd lost their lives and innocent people. thousand people over two decades. And, you know, I think you're, you're certainly right. You know, how, to look for the questions that you're asking, to look for those answers, they're not going to lie in, 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 in any sort of, uh, you know, grander vision of what Islam suggests or what, you know, Chechnyan culture suggests about violence and, and you know, uh, vigilantism. I mean, you know, if you look at the older brother, for example, I mean, the FBI was contacted by Russian authorities, by Russian intelligence, uh, you know, asking them to essentially in 2011 look into this guy, saying that he was, you know, a, you know, he believed in radical Islam. But the FBI said they interviewed him and his relatives, and that they didn't find any domestic or foreign terrorism activity. Uh, this was done in 2011, and results published. Uh, you know, the FBI published the results in, two, in that summer. Um, you know, we know that a year later he took a six-month visit to Russia, but this guy grew up with Jahar as immigrants 
in this country, uh, and they came to this conclusion, even though they had, you know, based on, again, Jahar's tweets, they had kind of tried to assimilate. This guy, for example, Jahar, was, you know, described by nearly universally by anyone who knew him as a compassionate person. He was willing to be a designated driver. Uh, you know, this guy was into partying. He was into women. He was into smoking pot. Uh, his brother also gave such interesting quotes to the media. I mean, his, you know, his, his. Um, I believe there was it was in a Boston University magazine in 2010 where he was interviewed, and he said something very interesting. He said, in the absence of Chechnya being independent, right? So you know, this group of people from where he comes, who are who are you know trying to have independence from Russia, essentially. Uh, he said, in the absence of that, he would want to, as a boxer, represent America over Russia. Um, and he was very explicit and adamant about that, yet at the same time saying certain things such as, I don't have any American friends, I just don't understand Americans. Well, um, to be fair, know, I said that on Thursday's show, that I don't have any friends, period. So. Well, I mean, it's different in your case, but, you know, I'm I'm much less likable. You're not involved as a suspect. Let me let me ask you, though, about, about you know, you've talked a ton uh, on your segments that you host. You've talked with everybody across the spectrum about these drone attacks. And, right. you know, I'm not tying, and I'll be very explicit, I'm not tying Boston's attack to, to our foreign policy anywhere. But what I did tweet out on Monday was, meanwhile, yeah. a New York Times link to 47 killed, 130 injured in an Iraq bombing. And the point I'm trying to make, and I know that that, that upset some people, of but course. the point I'm trying to make is Americans are not used to this type of violence. We're not used to terrorist attacks like this. Uh, we had one, uh, you know, it's like every 10 years uh, we, we prevented a number of them. But the rest, not the rest of the world, Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, obviously Chechnya. I mean, the violence occurs, Syria, obviously, all the time. And one can could say, hey, listen, it wouldn't be surprising if the family of some child or civilian killed in an American drone attack came to America and wanted to commit violence. And, and we should understand that rage and, and that fear that we feel. We are, our taxpayers, our voters are actually providing that. We're creating that in other parts of the world. Whether you agree with it or not, we are creating that in other parts of the world. And so when we're shocked and we're, we're terrified, um, I think that we should take those emotions that we have and the anger and, and you know, perhaps think about uh, our uh, foreign policy in other parts of the world. What do you think of that apparently controversial know, idea? Well, you know, Pete, I, I'm very happy that you're at least willing to have that conversation because I really, really have I've struggled in straddling this line of, of being critical of America. You know, we well, you have a harder time America. doing it because of your name and your heritage. But well, well, here's the thing. You know, we had Phil Donahue on, you know, recently about the Iraq War and, and you know, and the anniversary and stuff. And you know, I think he's really an important reminder of, of you know what patriotism means, what what it means to be an American. Uh, you know, I really believe in justice, and that's why I'm very concerned about these Miranda rights. And I grew up all over the world. I grew up in Egypt for nine years, grew up um, in countries perhaps where these freedoms are taken for granted. And so, you know, I think the most important step is to be honest with ourselves as individuals, as Americans, as a country, um, about not only our prejudices. You know, I, I hate to say this, and I, I often joke, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say I joke about racism, by, but I inject no, racism. No, it's good to joke about It's good to joke about racism. Well, this is my point. I, you know, I'll say that's racist about things that aren't racist just to get people to think twice about it because the truth is, Pete, uh, and, and I know you know this, we're all inherently, as human beings, 
uh, susceptible, if not racist, to a certain extent. And I think by not talking about it, um, I think we do ourselves a disservice. Uh, you know, and, and by not talking about the fact that you know terrorism is is relatively subjective uh, as a term on a global level. If you look at, at a global level, you know. The people who were tweeting things like, you know, look at how many people die in Baghdad, look at how many people die in Sudan, look at how many people die in Pakistan, how many children. I mean, you know, those people are not right to compare and to lessen the tragedy of what happened at the Boston Marathon. Rather, uh, my friend Omar Afendam, he's a Syrian-American. I mean, you can imagine his family is in Syria. He's been watching that country be destroyed um, by basically every regional actor, uh, as well as Western countries. You know, it's a huge proxy war. He tweeted out, uh, you know, Baghdad, uh, I think he said, Baghdad, Sudan, Iraq, Boston, we pray for all. And, uh, you know, Martin Richard is perhaps the most symbolic face, so to speak, at least for me, in terms of, um, you know, the eight-year-old boy who was unfortunately killed in these attacks. And, and I think, you know, there's so many Martin Richards, unfortunately, around the world. Uh, you know, he, he, he was holding a poster that said, no more hurting people. Uh, you know, it then was followed by the word peace. And I have to say that sometimes I think kids in their naivete and their lack of experience are much more in touch with humanity than, than we are. And it's, you know, so Martin might not be a martyr, uh, in, in, the, in the exact definition of the world, but he was a child, and I, as I said to you, um, they have these moments of clarity about the fundamental challenges that, that humanity faces, I think, without being too cliche. I mean, chief among them is a lack of humanity, of tolerance, of empathy for those who are not us. Uh, and that's where the whole us versus them paradigm came in, that the Bush administration, I think, you know, really pushed very hard um, you know, adopting this preemptive doctrine, this imminent threat. We are facing an imminent threat, a mortal threat. Uh, and so, you know, Obama and Obama's administration augmenting these drone strikes. I mean, you know, uh, whether in Boston, uh, Baghdad, Somalia, Pakistan, Sudan, Iraq, Palestine, uh, Israel, we share one earth. And, I don't, I, you know, I think it's important to say that, that, you know, Obama said the reason we have investigations, the reason we have courts, uh, he said, is because we can't rush to judgment, not about the motivations of these individuals, certainly not about entire groups of people. But for you to, to draw a parallel between Boston, uh, I think is, is actually accurate, because well, even, in, even in so much as the fact that this is re reminiscent of uh, a U, another U.S. citizen, Anwar al-Awlaki, uh, you know, who under different circumstances, he was killed in Yemen in September of 2011 uh, with a drone strike. Here we have another American citizen, a 19-year-old, Zokar, arrested and suspected of committing an act of terror. Um, and Obama, you know, with this whole suggestion that, you know, he would be tried in court, he would have a public defender. Um, you know, we heard Senator McCain and others oppose this, but you know, many are calling this a serious threat to our constitutional protections. But, you know, if we talk about threats to our constitutional protections, I think the reason I was happy that you're willing to at least have this conversation is, as you know from hearing Robert Gibbs talk about the drone strikes and many others, we knew they were happening. We know the destruction they caused. Um, I, I, you know, I just think that if, if Americans uh, knew and saw images uh, of, of how our drone warfare is being conducted, um, not just how untransparent it is, how unaccountable, but how pervasive it is in these countries. Um, the level of fear under which a lot of these communities live under, not knowing when a strike would occur, 
um, lots of civilians being reported dying. The fact that Robert Gibbs said that when he became press secretary, he wasn't, he was told, the first thing he was told is you cannot even talk about this. You cannot even talk about um, the destruction, let alone the program, let alone the justification, is why it's not that this is why these things happen, but there is a there is unfortunately, and as an American, I'm so I'm so disappointed when I'm reminded of this when I travel abroad, whether it's in the Muslim world or the Arab world. This notion of of anti-American sentiment being somewhat on the rise because people feel as though there's an American arrogance, uh, and so that's where those those thoughts come from. Of you know, everyone in the world has to mourn these three people, and as they should. Uh, you know, one, again, a Chinese grad student, one, and then two Americans, uh, a young boy. But, but you know, there are many young boys who die at the hands of a drone strike. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, you... you, you, you... Yeah, I mean, I... I everything. You... asked that question at the White House, a young Egyptian. I don't know if yes. you saw this. It circulated. I did. I saw it, and I heard it, and, yeah. I, and I, I thought that his answer was just... I mean, the, she asked the question... Go ahead. She basically asked the question, uh, do you think that U.S. drone strikes, I don't know exactly what, the, the, what it was verbatim, but do you think the U.S. drone strikes uh, constitute terror, uh, can be defined as terror? Um, and, you know, the answer was deflective and dismissive, and there, obviously it wasn't entertained. And I'm not saying that was the perfect format, but someone needs to, I was so proud of that journalist because those are the questions that I think. Absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned Martin, eight-year-old Martin Richard. He's an American. Uh, he's a white boy, and, and we relate to him um, on that level. My daughter, you know, eight-year-old white girl. The bottom line is, and what you're saying about, about America and we're all one one world, uh, Matt, I couldn't, like, I, I'm, people yeah, frown upon this a great deal. Again, I think I get away with it more as a white man uh, than others would, but, but I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't buy patriotism. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I get it, it's unifying characteristics, but I was lucky that my mom's egg met my dad's sperm in America. I mean, I was lucky that I was born here. That's just right. luck. I mean, and, and so what's the difference between an eight-year-old child in America and an eight-year-old child in, in, in Pakistan? It's foreign policy. It's economics. It's culture. It's religion. There's a lot of things, but, but it's right. not that eight-year-old's choice that he was born there into any culture, into any economy— and, and, and it does, so it doesn't matter where it happens. So if we're upset uh, and, and it, the feeling is visceral when we see these pictures of, of, of Martin Richard, an eight-year-old white American boy, why wouldn't we have a, the, the same level of disappointment when we see children of other cultures, of other skin uh, colors and religions anywhere else in the world? I think that we no. should be. And so in this case, if it's done, being done in our name with our money and with our weapons— then we should do something to prevent that. I think we should stand up and at least understand the situation and have an opinion on it. And 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 you do that every day. And I, I just um I'm so glad that you were able to join us. I, I we got to go out and, and hang out and 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 uh, and I I, I love, love watching you. you on Huffington Post Live. I'm being told now I have to wrap. No worries. I understand. And you know I really appreciate you uh, having these kinds of conversations. They're so needed. And I think journalism needs more empathy, more context. And and I'm happy to to provide it. On air, off there, whether well, you know, I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love to hang out. Here's the deal: I'm trying to do a Muslim a day this week, Ahmed, um, and I'm running out of Muslims quickly. So, um, yeah. help me out with some great I guests. I stand for out. Week. I mean, I can't, I can't help it. My name's Ahmed, so perhaps I'm first in the Rolodex. I I'm need a Chechnyan male age uh, for Wednesday. So, so let me know. Uh, no, but seriously, I am gonna, you know, but that's the idea. 
uh, your the comments that you made, um, you know, and then attaching your name, literally that alone, I think enlightens people in our conversation today, and, and, and it does every time I watch you on TV, on Huffington Post Live. Uh, thank you very much, pal. I'll talk to you very soon. It's my pleasure. Thanks. All right, buddy. Um, tweet him. Um, follow him and tweet him at ASE. Pretty easy. ASE is his Twitter handle. Ahmed Shanab Aldean. You can watch him every day on Huffington Post Live. He really is a good, young, smart thoughtful reporter, uh, journalist, and host at that uh, the great uh, outlet that is provided by Huffington Post, which I can criticize in terms of a number of things they do, but we can always, you know, you can do that about anybody, including me and, and, and anything that I've done. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back to David K. Johnson, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, and he's got a story called uh, titled How the NRA Impeded the Boston Bomber Investigation. I had no idea about any of this until I read it. You're going to 